Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Good morning, everyone. It's really nice to be here with all of you. I, uh, I think uh, Deb was the one who asked me, sorry, I'm having trouble with my earpiece this morning. I think Deb was the one who asked me when I walked in, like, how, how does it feel? And I said, well, it feels entirely strange and entirely familiar and comfortable as well. It's just a, a joy to be here, to see, uh, to see your faces, uh, yeah, to worship God together. I'm just going to share a little bit of a, a life update for us. So we, uh, our, our family, we've settled into the little village of, of Kingwood. If you've never been to Kingwood before, there's probably good reason for that. But if you're trucking to Animes, I'm going to guess that many of you are familiar with Animes uh, Restaurant in Millbank. And uh, the last little settlement you go through uh, is, Mil- is Pool before you get to Millbank. And if you turn east in Pool, you go three or four minutes down that road and you'll, you'll find our spot uh, there. So we're settling in nicely. The transition with the kids went well. And uh, we're settling in as, as members at Mapleview Mennonite Church as well as kind of Asking God, what does it look like to do discipleship and mission in, in new ways in, uh, in this community as well? I'd be happy to, to share uh, more about that and catch up with you over, over lunch. And yeah, thank you so much, Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis knows my love language. And uh, you know, after, after a couple of years of not being able to do this uh, together, I was just uh, thrilled to know that we'd be able to share a, a meal together uh, this morning for those who are able to, to stick around. So thank you so much. <laughs> that does uh, mean a lot. Looking forward to sharing that together. So I've been in, in my role with the Ontario Conference of MB Churches for eight months now, since uh, October. And uh, so, you know what, I, so I was putting together my sermon slides. This is a message. I, I have uh, several different messages as I roam among the churches that, that I preach, and I kind of tailor them to the audience. So this is a sermon that I've, I've uh, preached in a few other churches in recent months. And uh, I also, in the set of slides, I've got kind of my normal OMB uh, shtick. And so this is stuff that uh, many of you are familiar from the journey that we've been on the last couple of years. But I do want to share it with you again and it's part of my, my sense of why God somewhat surprisingly called me into this, this role about a year ago and just that passion that I do have for churches working together, for uh, resourcing our pastors, strengthening our churches, and the sense of when we work together with fellow believers, uh, we're better. We're better together to use maybe what's becoming a, an old cliche, but the sense that we can learn from one another, the sense that we can partner and be more effective in mission when we work side by side. So that's a little bit why I get excited about that and, and why I'm, I'm happy to kind of share the, the shtick with you. So you can see here a map of our 33 O&B churches and at movements, some would be kind of mission movements that are making disciples, but not necessarily formal churches at this point yet, but you can kind of see them scattered uh, across the province of Ontario from Leamington all the way up to Ottawa and then kind of up Aurelia. We got some First Nation stuff up in Sudbury and uh, Perry Sound area. So 33 churches across Ontario, and you can see we got a nice little one on, on Lake Huron there as well. And uh, 230 churches across Canada. 
And we'll jump to the next slide here. And then just to share, many of you, if not all of you, have met Ed Wilms, our executive director, and then Christy Lee, who is our executive assistant. She's the one who's working behind the scenes and kind of making everything look nice and sound nice and, and tying everything together for us. And then, of course, myself. And so our calling as churches is to glorify God by multiplying disciples of Jesus through our member churches, by facilitating collaboration, providing accountability, and encouraging blessing. And that's very much how I kind of see my calling into this, is facilitating those relationships between the churches as we support and strengthen uh, one another. And so it's been a joy to work with them. Uh, they, so Ed and Christy, they work out of St. Catharines, out of some church offices there. They both live there. And then I work out of Waterloo. Um, so there was, maybe you're familiar with Kitchener Mennonite Brethren Church. It's on Ottawa Street in Kitchener. It's kind of a, a beautiful old building. And uh, two or three years ago, it was shortly prior to COVID, they, uh, they merged. They were in a bit of a tough spot and they were maybe kind of dying out. And so they merged with WMB Church. And so now they're the, the Kitchener site of, of WMB and they have some office space there where Multiply. So you'll have maybe met Robin and Philip Serez over the years as they've shared about our, our global missions organization, Multiply. And so Multiply has offices in that church facility. And I don't love working from home. I can do it a little bit, but I get kind of antsy if I'm uh, from home and uh, not out and about and seeing people. So they invited me to come and work out of their office space uh, there. And just an, another side note, actually, uh, some of you may remember Joel Martin, who was with you for a prayer retreat in the fall. He's worked with you for Christ over the years. And actually, Joel was just hired on with, uh, with Multiply as kind of a regional mobilizer, coaching churches and, and training in terms of prayer ministry and, and, and sending out mission workers. So he'll be working out of that space there as well. I'll jump just to the, the next slide here. Um, so yeah, then just to share a little bit about our uh, part of my, my role is missional expressions. Now, good heavens, what does missional expressions mean? It's kind of the, the church planting end of things, but we want to view it a little bit more broadly than that, of, of we will be planting churches as we've normally understood it, but we're also going to be uh, catalyzing kind of disciple-making movements and, and different arrangements. And so we have some, like, some folks doing ministry. Um, the, the largest population of, of Tibetan um, Buddhists is in Toronto in the Parkdale area. And so we have some mission workers who are there and they're, they're, you know, they're connecting, they're, they're sharing the gospel. There's a few people who are responding in faith at, at this time, but it's, it's a long, patient road as, as you share the good news of Jesus and, and uh, kind of cross those cultural and religious boundaries. And so that would be an example of a missional expression. It's not a church yet as we know it. It's not like you just walk in and you put on a church service and hope people will come, but it's much like what we do in our global context of this patient disciple-making. And so that's maybe a little bit why we use this language of missional expressions, just a little bit more, more uh, broadly. So if you ever hear of someone who's got wherever God's kind of stirring in their heart and they're looking for a group to kind of partner with to be resourced by, you should tell them, hey, I know a guy named Ryan. He'd love to, love to talk with you. Uh, you can see there a picture of one of our church plants in Ottawa, Southeast City. And uh, so through, the, so the church was planted. It's, it's in, an, they rent space from a, an older Lutheran church. And they, through COVID, they, they've been planted two years prior and then just struggled to know how to connect relationally. But they were in a high-density, low-income neighborhood called Russell Gardens. And so they, uh, they knew that food scarcity was an issue in that community. A lot of people didn't have transportation to go to the nearest food bank hub. So they developed a food bank there. And they were invited then. They were kind of doing it 
on their own. Then they were invited into this high-rise building to kind of begin working out there and became an official partner of the food banks in Ottawa. And just that, that patient presence that it gave them an opportunity to engage with their neighbors in a way they haven't, hadn't uh, previously. And as this relationship uh, built, they uh, were finding some pretty incredible ministry opportunities. I mean, this, this is a familiar story uh, to, to many of you. It's nothing new or highly unusual, but it's exciting to see how God uh, has been working. And, and so they had a lady who was diagnosed with cancer and on, and, and she, she had come to their, their food bank and always very, uh, not, not the most pleasant person to engage with and kind of standoffish. And, and they just patiently, consistently uh, cared for her. And then all of a sudden she had a cancer diagnosis and had no one uh, to come alongside her. And so she called the pastor and his wife. And so the pastor's wife was the one sitting with her at her, her bedside, reading scripture and praying over her when she had no one else. So opportunities like that, that opened up. And this community did lose a number of people. Uh, the, the high-rise, this, this uh, low-income neighborhood called Russell Gardens, uh, they lost a number of people through COVID to a, a number of reasons. A few COVID deaths, um, there were a few overdoses, there was a few uh, cancer diagnoses, whatnot. Anyway, there were a number of people, and they, and they said, you know what, we, because of COVID, we weren't able to mourn together. So they actually asked Pastor David, and they said, would you come and lead a memorial service for us? And he said, sure, like, I'd love to. You know I'm a pastor, right? Like, I'm going to talk about Jesus. Like, yeah, we don't, we don't care. We love you. We trust you. Like, come and lead us in this. And so he had this opportunity uh, just to share Jesus with these people. And, and so they've, they've had kind of the shift as they, they planted a church and they're aiming to get people like in the doors and like, will you come worship with us and grow this church? And yet God's giving them this opportunity right next door to be engaging people with the good news. And, and these are people that, you know, they're inviting to join with them, but they're not necessarily for a number of reasons. That's an uncomfortable step. And yet there's gospel fruit over here. And so he led the service and someone after was like, hey, like, could we do this more often? He's like, like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know, like, you can like kind of preach and we could sing together and whatever. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it's been a couple of weeks since I, this, this just unfolded recently. So I haven't heard how that developed, but he said, you know, you're going to have to talk to the building supervisors and whatever. And like the inv invitation has to come from, from you all. Like we can't force our way in, but they were going to go and, and advocate on, on his behalf. And so there's actually this community of disciples that's emerging right next door alongside their church as they know it and they're figuring out what what all that looks like and so anyway that's just an example of how god is stirring and, and we certainly want to see uh, more instances like that of, of people meeting jesus as this is yeah this is nothing new to you but in this in this day and age how do we connect uh the good news of jesus with uh various various people we'll jump to the next slide here um, just want to invite you, if you want to track along with, uh, yeah, sorry, I, I'm, I'm giving you my, my O&B, uh, like I said, my O&B shtick, and I understand it feels a little bit different sharing here with, with you all. I'm not coming to do a, a sell job for the denomination. <laughs> um, but if you would like to track along with stories, uh, I've been hosting a podcast called Jesus Stories, where I interview various people from across our denomination, taking a bit of a break over the summer, but every six weeks or so, I'll, I'll post uh, a conversation and so it's been a lot of fun had a conversation with someone who's a spiritual director had a conversation actually that church i was just describing with them had a conversation with someone who's been hosting uh spiritual conversations in their neighborhood uh two of my favorite ones a guy named chris walker he's a pastor down in leamington and that conversation was my journey into anabaptism uh billy joe isaac she's first nations uh from perry sound area and uh she's like when you think of what a prophet looks and sounds like it's it's totally her 
just a, a really bright uh, light and voice uh, within, within our family. So anyway, if you want to track along, that's a place where you can. And we'll jump to the next slide. And if you want to follow along with us, you can communicate with our office, info at onmb.org. You can track with us on Instagram or Facebook at ONMB events, or you can follow myself at Ryan underscore ONMB. And, and oftentimes I'll just uh, take, take photos of um, different places I go, different things that I'm seeing, different things I'm experiencing. I pass along you know, resources and, and different, different bits to uh, kind of cast this vision for how we can be making disciples together as a denomination, as well as kind of facilitating that connection among churches. Because when you're in Ottawa and when you're in Mississauga and when you're in Simcoe, you don't really know each other as churches. And so to get familiar. And so as, as uh, those relationships are facilitated, you can see and be like, oh, like they're up to something over here. Recently, I had a conversation. Um, one of our pastors in Leamington has been engaging with migrant workers. And he's spending time in the bunkhouses with them. He's driving them to medical appointments. And then I overheard another guy who in Simcoe just started as like a factory uh, supervisor with migrant workers. And he's like, I want to like be the presence of Jesus here, but I don't really know how. And then there was another church who's been doing migrant worker ministry for about 10 years or so and has a pretty robust, um, like they host worship services for the migrant workers. They do a lot of medical care. They like just, they facilitate community for these, for these workers. And another church in uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake who they're kind of exploring. They have a facility space that they don't know what to do with, and so they've been hosting some medical clinic stuff. Anyway, I'm, I'm hearing these different conversations. Like, wait, like, you're all talking about the same things, and maybe if we got together and could pray together and learn from each other, how can, how can we do this? And so that's my hope as, as I hear about God stirring things in different contexts. How can I bring these conversations uh, together so that we can uh, just grow in faithfulness and ineffectiveness. And so as you track along, you can get a, a glimpse of that. So this morning, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about God's sovereignty. If you're honest, I was, I was struggling with what to preach about this morning. What, what do I say? Uh, Craig invited me to preach, and I was like, is it, is it too soon? He's like, no. He's like, it'll be good. Like, you know, you're still connected with us through ONMB, and I think he said, you know, the folks who appreciate that. I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm quite, quite pleased to, to be here, but what, what do you say? What have I... <laughs> Um, on one hand, you know, I, I don't want to don't want to preach in a way that I'm trying to like influence and, and whatever. Like, I want to give you as a church that uh, that space and not not trying to offer leadership in a, in a sense. And yet, it felt unusual to just preach a sermon and to kind of ignore the shared history and the relationship and and I think the depth of love that we we have with one another. So I was struggling and praying through it, and I felt God directing me to this. Um, yeah, this topic of God's sovereignty. And as I mentioned, this is a sermon that I've, I've preached in a couple of locations in recent months, and, uh, but tailoring it for sure to the journey that we're on. And so I want to invite you this morning to consider God's sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean? Basically, it means that God is king, right? Like sovereign is a label we give to Queen Elizabeth. She's sovereign. And it's, you know, as, as we're not in a, in a monarchy in the same way that that was the case centuries ago, it's not a word we use as often, but a, a king or a queen, someone who has authority over a group of people, someone who directs the affairs of their empire. God is sovereign. God has authority over us. God is in charge. God is directing the affairs of human history. He's directing the affairs of your life your life, whether you recognize it or not. So I invite us together today to consider the sovereignty of God. Now, in recent months, I have been dwelling on the sovereignty of God, 
and that's been uh, been helpful. And part of that is, so I mentioned earlier, we arrived in, uh, we've moved to Kingwood. Never in my wildest dreams would I have ever dreamed that I would end up in Kingwood. It's about five minutes from where I grew up. Uh, we're surrounded by uh, Old Order Mennonites. We're, we're in a very multicultural area, actually. There's the Old Order Amish, and there's the Dave Martin Mennonites, and there's the Beachy Amish, and the Conservative Mennonites, and the Mennonite Brethren, and the Mennonite uh, Church Canada. Anyway, there's, it's very multicultural, all these different types of Mennonites. Um, but asking God, why did we end up here? So as we were making this transition, you can see, oh, we'll just, sorry, we'll scoot back to the last slide there. Um, kind of our anchor points are going to be working at Kitchener, Brittany's working in Stratford, and we're kind of thinking like where in between and how we connect with the church, and we're kind of thinking maybe New Hamburg, maybe we'd go to Glencairn and be in the West End of Kitchener. Um, but as you know, the housing market was kind of crazy, and, and we had a sense that God is calling us in this next stage of life to really be a place of blessing and hosting for, for people, whether that's in like discipleship huddles, missional community type stuff, or people in transition. Um, so yeah, and anyway, we, we ended up putting an offer in a place in Wellesley, and I kind of thought we'd put an offer in a lot of places before we arrived. And our realtor's like, it's probably not enough to get the place. And anyway, we got the place. And I was surprised. And Brittany was relieved because she loves stability. And I was like, I, I like kind of adventure and exploring and I kind of this was an exciting stage of transition to dream and all of a sudden it was over and we're in Kingwood and I'm five minutes from where I grew up and three minutes from the church I grew up at and we live at the end of the lane of some Dave Martin Mennonites I'm like why are we here why here God and we're excited to be there don't don't get me wrong we're we're delighted but there's a sense of God why are we here and it was in this that God's been inviting me to rely on his sovereignty and actually, like, I really believe that God directs the affairs of our lives, whether we recognize it or not. And so we're kind of curious, like we're, we're curious to find out why this particular place. And actually last night we had some neighbors over for dinner and there was like a little bit of a hint of like, oh, maybe this is why you call us to this community. I'm, I'm not sure, but you've got all those questions of like, our kids have moved schools and we paid a lot of money for a house and all this stuff and like what if it was the wrong place what if this was the wrong decision the wrong financial decision the wrong community decision like and you can kind of i mean we've all been there right like you got these questions and doubts circling around our mind but this idea of trusting in the sovereignty of god and god just saying like i'm 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 in control i'm i'm directing you it's going to be okay job chapter 42 verse 2 says i know that you can do all things no purpose of yours is thwarted. I think that that gives us a lot of hope, a lot of trust that no purpose of God can be thwarted. We are living in times of great uncertainty. All over the map. Lots of uncertainty. Lots of things that we're unsure about. Life changes, kids growing up and moving out, parents aging, maybe our own health challenges, societal shifts, political division. And, and churches all across the map are, are struggling as we come out of, out of COVID. Um, you're, you're not unusual or unique in that in terms of like most, not every church, but most churches are looking around and they're like, but where are these people and that people and how do we live on mission now? Everything's kind of been thrown up in the air and we're quite uncertain about it. And then for, for you adding in that, that leadership uh, transition, I'm not going to lie, I'd feel a lot better coming and uh, preaching here this morning if I knew that there was a set plan in place and that was someone uh, ready to come as, as lead pastor. But just to encourage you in that as well, there's that uncertainty. And also just to say that 
that's, that is a bit of a theme right now, that uh, churches with, with pastoral openings, it's not an easy thing right now. And I'm sorry that I transitioned out at the wrong time. I guess this is where we, we trust the sovereignty of God. But just so you know that that's, that's not unusual. With, the, with just the societal upheaval and uncertainty and whatever, we've got a number, of, a number of churches that have been looking for a little while, and we trust that God has the right person at the right time, that God is leading and directing. But there's all this uncertainty, and these are moments where we can doubt and we can wonder and we can say, what if I get it wrong? What if I go the wrong way? What if I miss this sign or this step? What if everything falls apart in our family relationships, in our employment, all of this stuff? Lots of uncertainty. And yet it's in these moments that God gently reminds us to lean on His sovereignty. There's classic verses like Romans 8, 28, where it says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. That's not just a cliche. It's not just a feel-good um, slogan. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, but it means that no matter what happens, God is carrying out His plan, which is for your good, for the good of those who love Him. He's carrying you along with that. He's holding you in your hands, and it's going to be okay. I pause and look at life and I think of, of my own journey in different ways that God's sovereignty has, has played out where I've seen Him clearly lead. And, and one of them is, in and, and these are stories that are familiar to you, but one of them is in, in 2006, the summer of 2006. No, it was the summer of 2005. Anyway, when, when Phil Wagler said, hey, would you like to come and do an internship at Zurich Mennonite Church? And I was like, sure, yeah, let's do that. Like I had, I had no idea, right, that that one little conversation that day when I was like, huh, it'd be kind of interesting to learn from this, this fellow. And, and here, uh, that was God setting the plans in motion for me to come and spend time in this community for a number of years. And I see God's sovereignty at work. And as you look in your own lives, as you look in your, um, in your church life, these moments where it's like, you know what, like God was putting the places in step here to prepare for that. Like there's no question that he was working. One of the moments of actually incredible sovereignty, and I, and I was able to share this for a brief moment when I was with you all at some point this spring, uh, the one morning, and, uh, but I'll, I'll share the story for those of you who weren't with us. And, and uh, that's that in, in April, I was with one of our Afghan churches, one of our O&B uh, Afghan churches in Scarborough. And we got, so they meet in this like back room of this other church building, and it's not really clear at all where they meet. Like, you got to kind of want to be there if you want to. <laughs> they don't have greeters at the door being like, hey, come this way. Like, so I pull up, I'm looking, they're like, did I get the wrong time? There's like nobody around. There's this other guy that pulls in. He looks like he's from uh, Indian background, maybe Pakistani background. And he pulls up and he's sitting there, and then we get talking. He's like, is this the right place for the Afghan church? And I was like, I think so. And I was like, so I'm texting the pastor. I'm like, is this whatever waiting? And we get chatting. He's like, oh, like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Zurich. And he's like, oh, cool. I know where that is. And I was like, no, no, no not Switzerland. Like, <laughs> Zurich, Ontario. He's like, yeah, I know where that is. I was like, how? He's like, my fiance lived there for a little while. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but he said, yeah, my my, my fiance's family, they're Afghanis, and they came, they settled in Afghanistan with Zurich Mennonite Church. And I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah. He's like, they love that community. They're so thankful. He's like, I know the whole story. He, uh, and, he's, and I was like, the Atiki family. And he's like, yes. And in 
a matter of seconds, and again, this is repeat for some of you, but for those of you who weren't there that Sunday when I shared this with you, in a matter of seconds, he pulled up on his phone a news clipping from the Lakeshore Advance of their family, and it had Carol Herb Gingrich in the picture, and I think a couple others of you, uh, and he pulled up and he showed it to me. I was like, yep, that's, that's them. And I was like, I was a pastor there for the last number of years. And then he said, what you need to know is that my fiance is a follower of Jesus. So their family has been Muslim and continues to be Muslim, but she, through a series of events, came to faith in Jesus. And the reason why this gentleman was there that evening was because he's trying to connect her into an Afghani church so that she can kind of experience and see what it means to be an Afghani and to follow Jesus, that it's not abandoning of her culture and, and just people who speak her heart language to grow in faith with. Now, don't tell me that's coincidence that he, and also another side piece, she didn't arrive. She did, for some lines got crossed of communication. She wasn't even there that night. But don't tell me it's coincidence that we arrive at that church on the same night that we arrive with nobody else around and not being sure where to go or who to talk to. Like if we'd have all walked in at different times in the service on our own, there's a pretty good chance we wouldn't have interacted. Don't tell me that that's coincidence. And for me to hear that story, and I was like, is it okay if I like tell the church in Zurich that she's come to faith and like just to thank God together and to pray for the faith? I was like, yes. He's like, please do. And, and so just that opportunity to share those news to kind of bring that story to a close, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is at work all around us arranging affairs and details, putting steps in place to accomplish His purposes in big things and in small things. And if I give you a moment to pause and to reflect, I'm sure that you can think of these instances that the world will tell us are coincidences, but we know that there's a divine Creator who's sovereign, who's the King over all things, that is arranging these things on our behalf because no plans of His can be thwarted. So I'm actually going to give you a moment to think. Where have you seen the sovereignty of God? Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't know if, you, if being a Calvinist means anything to you, but there's this, this group within the Christian church, sisters and brothers in Christ, uh, some very good friends of mine are Calvinists, and, and there's different ways that Calvinism is, is, is expressed, but there's this idea of the sovereignty of God to the extent that my residence director at Briarcrest believed that when you played a game of hockey, every single bounce of the puck was completely determined by God. Yeah. So if I ring it off the crossbar, it was God who decided that I was going to ring it off the crossbar. And so it's just this, this intense trust in the sovereignty of God, but taken to the nth degree where everything is determined and there's not free will or there's not the sense of God, you know, releasing, uh, releasing kind of creation and, and, and yeah. And, and so I'm not, a, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't necessarily believe that. But I had a professor at Briarcrest who expressed it this way. So we'll jump to the next slide, which has an arrow. So if we look at that arrow, we can see it as kind of the big, large arrow. This is God's sovereign will. He is directing humankind. He's directing our lives toward a particular outcome. God's plans are unfolding. And yet within that arrow of God's sovereign oversight and direction, we're in there doing all kinds of crazy things. Walking away from God, maybe going a different direction than what God had for us because we didn't actually seek His will on it. It's just... It's chaos, right? Like we, we know that we sin and that we struggle and we make wrong decisions and 
And I'm not going to tell you that when something super horrible happened to you or, or maybe when your business failed or this relationship fell apart or whatever, I'm not going to tell you that that was God's sovereignty. This world is broken and we have free will to make wrong decisions. Unfortunately, we have free will, which means that we're hurt in significant ways by other people. We do make the wrong decisions sometimes. And yet all of this takes place within this big arrow of God's plans unfolding, and it's mysterious. I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of God's big purposes for human history or His purposes for you as an individual. I don't know. All I know is it's this mysterious mix, but I firmly believe from the Scriptures and because I've seen it in life that God directs our affairs. He is sovereign and His plans are being, they are unfolding. I'm going to take a look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Colossians 1, 16 to 17. And it says, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. A verse that points us to the sovereignty of God. God is holding everything together. And He is directing the world toward His purpose, toward His ends. The classic story, which Catherine read kind of the the summary for us. Thank you very much, Catherine. This classic story in Scripture of God's sovereignty at work is the story of Joseph. Now, we're not going to read through it, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a a summary here. So Joseph is one of 12 brothers. But for some reason, he's favored, and it actually has to do with whom his mother is, but he's favored by his father above his other brothers. And he's given a coat, an elaborate coat, a fancy coat, a coat that communicated honor and priority. Well, one time Joseph had a dream. And in that dream, he was out in the fields gathering grain with his brothers, and all of his brothers' bundles or sheaves of grain bowed down to Joseph's. And then he had a second dream. And in that second dream, the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowed down to Joseph. A bit of a theme here of him being honored, him uh, having authority over those around him. So God was actually revealing something to Joseph, was giving him a glimpse of his future. He was showing him the prominence that he would rise to and how he would lead his family. The problem was, Joseph was apparently quite proud about this, so he went and told his brothers, how's that going to go over? If Lukey walks up to Caleb, he's like, just so you know, I'm going to rule over you someday. I'm going to be your boss. You're going to do what I say. That's not going to fly. We might have a scrap on our hands. So he goes and tells his brothers, They're not fans. Long story short, they sell him to some slave traders who take him to Egypt. He ends up up in Egypt working as a household manager for a high-ranking official. This official's wife tries to, to seduce Joseph. Joseph resists. She gets upset. She falsely accuses him, and he ends up in prison. Now, if there's any place that you might doubt in the sovereignty of God directing the affairs of your life, prison might be it as you're completely restricted. If someone says, God has a great plan for your life and you're sitting in prison, you might kind of doubt that. And yet, God had a great plan for Joseph's life. 
in jail. Uh, he was probably asking, like, God, didn't you say? Like, he goes back to those dreams. Like, was that all? Did I misconstrue that? What was happening there? Because clearly I'm not rising to prominence here. So Joseph is in jail for a long time. There he interprets the dream for a couple of guys, one of whom is an image bearer, or sorry, a cup bearer of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the ruler of Egypt. And uh, his dream predicts, rightly so, prophesies that this cupbearer would be restored back out of prison, back to serve Pharaoh. And this guy is like, dude, thanks so much. Like, that was really helpful. I really appreciate this. I'm going to remember you when I get out of prison. I'm going to put in a good word for you. We're going to get you out of this situation. And Joseph's sitting there and he's watching the months turn into years. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, this. This is not helpful. What about those dreams, God? What about your plan for my life as he's wallowing in captivity? That fellow forgot Joseph for a number of years. But God was still at work carrying out his plans. Even in the midst of the darkest developments, God was at work carrying out his plans. One day, Pharaoh had a troubling dream. And he was beside himself because he couldn't figure out what it meant and all of his prophets, all the people that were supposed to interpret it for him couldn't. And his cupbearer was like, hey, hold on, there was this guy in prison, he interpreted one of my dreams, and he was right, like you should talk to him. So Pharaoh summons Joseph, and Joseph comes, and he interprets this dream and he prophesies about a coming famine that's going to trouble the entire Egyptian empire and beyond the Egyptian empire. And he says, actually, leading up to that famine, though, there's going to be seven years of wheat surplus. And if you do it just right and prepare, you're going to be okay. If you take advantage of this wheat surplus, if you store it up, and I'll, yeah, God can really deliver you from this because it's going to be seven hard years of starvation if you don't. And Pharaoh receives this, and he's a big fan. And so he appoints Joseph to be second in command to kind of oversee this big preparation and relief effort. And it happens, just as Joseph predicted. The famine comes, and his family, at a great distance away, his family is struggling with starvation. And so they come to Egypt, completely unbeknownst. The last they heard of Joseph, he was sold to some slave trainers. He might be dead by now. Who knows? He could be, he's not on their minds. They come to Egypt. And again, making the long story short, they come before Joseph to receive grain. Joseph plays with them a little bit, and then finally Joseph reveals himself to them after providing for their family. And they're trembling. They're scared. They're thinking, good heavens, we hurt you, Joseph. He, Joseph is an authority. These dreams have come true. He's ruling over his family. He has every opportunity to grind them into the dust. And they're trembling because they know it. They think that he'll enact retribution. But Joseph extends compassion. And Joseph does this because he trusts and has experienced the sovereignty of God. And in summary, he offers this beautiful snippet of Scripture that we have which paints this picture of God's sovereignty. He says, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You tried to hurt me, and in the midst of all of it, God was at work preparing for this very day when the possibility was that our family would be wiped out. God sent me before you through all of these crazy circumstances so that I could stand here before you and provide for my family. 
and actually provide for the family of Jacob, which become the blessing of the nations. This is a big point in kind of God's salvation history. Now, I don't know. This is where it's mysterious, right? Like God's unfolding his plans, but there was a whole lot of horrible nonsense that happened to get there. Joseph's brothers tried to kill him. Did God direct them to do that? Or did God just kind of take what was going on and use it for his purposes? Like, I don't know how all that works out. It's mysterious. I actually don't think we can know. But what we do see is in spite of the nonsense, in the midst of the nonsense, in the midst of the missteps, in the midst of that cupbearer forgetting, maybe that cupbearer just forgot. Maybe God made that cupbearer forget so that a few years would go by so they'd be at the point of the onset of the famine in Pharaoh's dream. I don't know. But we receive this promise that what they intended for evil, God used for good to accomplish His purposes. And so it is with your life. So it is with your life. So it is with this church. God is accomplishing His purposes. And it can be a winding journey. It's never linear. We make mistakes. We get it wrong. We know full well that there's decisions that are made that we look back, whether it's within our families or as a church, and we look back at some decision, we're like, I don't know if that was the best direction for us. I don't know if that was God's plan and God's will. And yet, He has this way of just continuing to unfold His plans, continuing to lead us and to direct us. And the beautiful thing is we actually see this in the Gospel. We see this in the Gospel. So Jesus, the religious leaders are trying to knock Him off. He's causing trouble. He's disrupting the people. And you've probably heard me refer to this moment over the years because I think it's such a profound moment where Caiaphas, the high priest, he advises that it would be good. And we're actually going to skip. I'm, I'm running a little behind Joe, so I'm going to skip past a couple. So here we are. Caiaphas, the high priest, decided that it would be good. His words were, if one man died for the people. John 18, verses 12 to 14, it says, The detachment of soldiers with its commander and Jewish officials arrested Jesus, and they bound him, and they brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. It's like absolutely astounding, this verse. This leader of God's people speaking about God's Messiah who's been sent is like, we need to preserve the nation. We need to get rid of this nonsense. We need to stay faithful to God. And if we kill this guy, he'll no longer have influence and it will be good for the people. So we're going we're gonna to crucify the supposed Messiah. And as he's describing this from his perspective, he's speaking a prophetic word about what's actually going on. He has no idea what he's saying. That Jesus... The Messiah, the Son of God, the substitute for our sins, the one who had to die so that we could be made clean. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. All the stuff we know, right, about who Jesus was as our Savior. And Caiaphas, he didn't mean this, but he's actually saying one guy had to die for the people. And he was absolutely right. Jesus had to die for us. This was God's plan. Jesus had to die for us so that we could be set free so that we could be reconciled to God. And it's this marvelous instance again of what Caiaphas, well, he actually intended for good. He thought he was doing good, but it was actually evil. The evil that Caiaphas was doing, God took it and he turned it around for good. 
Now, that's big, grand scale within our lives. There are these instances as well. Sometimes God directs us in His sovereignty in very clear and marvelous ways. And other times, He takes our nonsense. He takes our sin. He takes our missteps. And He redirects them to His purposes. We see the sovereignty of God here. We see it in the Gospel message. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, which says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. This is the good news. This is God, in the biggest sense, unfolding His plan of goodness in place of our sin of our missteps. God unfolding His sovereign plan. So I bring this message to you, this invitation to trust in the sovereignty of God in this time. Whatever you're facing, each of us has stuff that we're going through. Stuff that we worry about. Stuff where we don't know what the future looks like. And it's pretty easy to be like, am I on my own here? Like, what if I make the wrong step? What if, what if, what if, what if? And it's in these moments that God is calling us to trust in His sovereignty. And again, this doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect and easy. Look at the story of Joseph. And yet God is carrying out His purposes. And so I invite you to reflect on within the Gospel story, how do you see God's sovereignty? Within your life, how have you seen God's sovereignty. Within the story of this church, how have you seen God's sovereignty? And maybe an instance jumps to your mind. I'd love to hear it over lunch. How you've experienced uh, God's sovereignty. And I know I've been in seasons where it's actually really hard to think of how I've seen God show up sovereignly. And there's other times where it's like, oh my goodness, like I see this and I see this and God did this and here's where He led us there. And But I invite you to consider where have you experienced God's sovereignty? So I'll just give you one, one minute to think a little bit more about that. And then I want to ask you the question, where are the instances now where you need to trust in God's sovereignty? Where are the instances of uncertainty, confusion, despair, fear, where you need to trust in God's sovereignty. Is God inviting you to apply what we've seen and heard to these circumstances? So how have you experienced God's sovereignty? And now, where is God inviting you to trust in His sovereignty today? Because God is sovereign, we can live with hope. Let's take a moment and pray together. God, together we say to you, and, and as, a, as an act of, of hope and an act of obedience and an act of we want to be faithful. So whether we feel it or not right now, we together we say, God, You are sovereign. 
You know what lies before us and we believe that You're going to be right there. You're going to be right there with us. Holding us. Directing us. Thank You, God, for Your goodness. Thank You that we can trust in You. And so God, I pray for each one here, whether in person here or online, that as we now we confess, like we struggle with this. Um, I pray for each one of us that whatever it is where we're feeling deep fear, we're feeling doubt, we're feeling despair, God, we hold these up to You and we just invite You, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts. Minister to our hearts. Speak Your words of sovereignty. I pray that You would quicken our minds because we know that we've experienced Your sovereignty, but sometimes we confess it's, it's hard to remember. We forget. We lose perspective. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that that now and today that You would quicken our minds to remember those instances. And as we remember them, we rejoice in them. Thank You so much, God, for how You've led us to these moments in time. Thank You. And so we invite You to sovereignly lead us. We place our trust in You and we honor You. You're so good to us. You're so good. It's a gift to be led by a good and kind and powerful King. We honor You, Jesus. Amen.